You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight's scripture reading comes from Mark 2, starting in 23, through Mark 3, chapter 6. Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields... And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in time of Abathar and the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, on how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, my name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Free City Church. And if you're with us uh, for the first time, uh, we're really in the beginning of just walking through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see we're not doing literally every section of Mark. We're focusing on the majority of Mark, which actually has a ton of action, a ton of Jesus doing. Like, what is Jesus doing? I mean, that might be a question you're asking your life, like right now, like, Jesus, what are you doing in my life? Or maybe you need to present the question like this. Jesus, what do I need you to ask you to do in my life? And actually what's happening is uh, the, the religious leaders are getting more and more upset with Jesus. Every interaction that they have is going from intrigue, like, hey, this guy is drawing huge crowds to a deep distrust He's doing something different than how we want to do it. We're not for sure if we can trust him. And really what we have in the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark is we have a strong division. I mean, it ends, if you look at verse 6, it ends with new allies being made, and they're saying, how can we kill him? Like, it goes pretty quick from like, I don't know what he's saying to, we have to stop him. Um. When, uh, when Kenzie and I were first married, uh, there was a barrier uh, to us sleeping together. And w- when I say sleeping together, I mean like you know, sleeping together. Um, and it was a waterbed. I had a waterbed before we got married. And I know right now you're not familiar with what a waterbed is because waterbeds have been like outlawed in all 50 states. Because if you sleep on one, you might need Jesus to do what he did to the paralytic last week. I mean, they're not good for you. 
but I inherited it for free from my parents because they were losing the ability to move. They're like, we got to get rid of this thing. And so to me, it, I was just thinking about, it seemed like a step up. I had a twin mattress that I bought for $59 my freshman year of college. $59. That mattress went from the seventh floor of Walker Tower, West Side. West Side? Okay. Seventh floor, Walker Tower, to the second floor of a fraternity house, to the third floor of the fraternity house, back to the second floor of a fraternity house. And then I moved it into a house that should have been condemned years before we moved six guys into it. Three in my room. Like it was so cheap, it was unbelievable. We had a friend who's like, I don't have a place to live. I'm like, how much money you got? You can live with us. I mean, it was great. And so then, you know, I had this chance to upgrade where my parents were like, hey, we have this waterbed. It's queen size. I'll take it. And so like the waterbed, it moved from all these different things. But Kinsey slept on that bed one night. One night. And the next morning she said, never again. And she had a solution. The solution was, she was like, I'll just sleep on my posturepedic twin mattress on the floor, and we just don't have to sleep together. I was like, no, girl, that ain't going to work out. So we moved from the queen-size waterbed to the floor while we saved up a couple hundred dollars to buy a suitable mattress, and Kinsey slept on the posturepedic twin-side mattress with my one leg, because I always fell off and just had one leg on the mattress. So we saved up money and we bought a Lady Americana mattress. It's a hidden gem in the mattress world. And we were faithful to that mattress for 17 years because we're Christians. It was last year, really about this time, Kinsey asked this novel question. This incredible novel question. She asked this, do we have to wake up injured every morning? And I, I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's just what I'm used to. I'm waking up thinking like, oh, I just got to get out of bed, please. And so it was a good question. And so we went, it was, a, it was oh, actually 4th of July weekend. And so we went to Nebraska Furniture Mart and we bought a new mattress. And then we ate dinner out in the parking lot of a restaurant because they only had to go orders. And it was this incredible night. And we get home, and it took way more work than I thought to unwrap it. And then, like, we slept on that thing. Guys, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Like, the mattress that I sleep on, the king, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt would have gone to war for it. It is unbelievable. Like, I don't want to get out of bed now. Like, before, I couldn't wait to roll out of bed and see if I could still feel my legs. But it's unbelievable. I didn't know the rest that I wasn't getting. Like, I feel like I really sleep. Like, I, I feel rested after I rest. I didn't know what I was missing out on. You know, here, Jesus is making an unbelievable claim. He, he, he's making a claim that unites mortal enemies that hated one another. Jesus is saying that he can give you a rest that you didn't know was possible. Jesus is saying that he is the rest that God has provided for us. Jesus is saying that the rest that you've been looking for in every completed task, in every sleepless night of worry or riddled with guilt, every vacation that you've ever actually sought after to achieve something, Jesus is saying he is that rest. Jesus is saying 
that he is the rest that your souls have been craving, whether you know it or not. Jesus looks at the religious leaders who had a lot of beliefs about the Sabbath and the gift that it was and how to do it, and he says, the Sabbath is actually all about me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It was always pointing to me. And what that means, like we, 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 we're like Sabbath light people, but what that means is everything that you've looked to to restore you, to bring rest to your heart, to bring like the calm waters in your life, Jesus is saying, I am what you've been looking for. And the religious leaders knew what he was saying, and they wanted to kill him for it. And so like, I really want you to wrestle with two questions. And then I'm going to tell you the three points that we're going to say. Are you tired? Like, like, are you tired? Like, just when you think relationships get to where they should be, or they're nowhere near where they should be, and it just gets worse, like, are you tired of not being able to hold these things together? Are you tired of accomplishing something that you set out to do, only to find the next morning that you're still you and nothing really changed? Are you tired? And then the second thing is just a question of that, just to build off that. Will you take the striving, ceasing rest of Jesus if it costs you something you love? Will you take it? And so as we look at this, we're going to just kind of unpack this. And so three things. We're going to first look at what is the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is rest. Like it's God-given rest. And then we're going to ask, do we need this Sabbath rest, or why do we need it? And we're going to say, because we need to be restored. There's something withered and broken in us. And then the final thing, what needs to be restored? And it's going to say, a new heart. You need a new heart that will actually love and trust God more than you love and trust other things. And it is a divine miracle that has to happen in your life. It's not something you're going to reason or talk yourself into. It's something that has to be changed that only Jesus can bring. And that's why he entered into the world 2,000 years ago to start something in the souls of men and women. And so let's look at this, verse 23. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And so the picture is they're walking through the grain fields, and they're just hungry, and so they're pulling the top of the, the heads of the grain off. They're rolling it around in their hands to get rid of the, the chaff that might be in there just to get to the seeds, and then they're just eating seeds. Like this, is like, this is the first century snack pack, you know? I mean, they're just going. They're hungry. It's here. I mean, you're just walking, and you're just pulling this is what you do, or you used to do, you don't do it now. When you were in the supermarket, you're like, I wonder if that grape's good, and you stole that grape. You know, no one goes to jail for that. You might die from it, but no one goes to jail for it. And so that's what's happening. It's not a lot of work. Like, they're not getting to a moment where, like, man, this is exhausting. They're just walking and they're snacking. This is like this, this is like my house. Like, this is my son. He would walk and snack everywhere he went. And so here at verse 24, look. It says, And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Like, like the Pharisees look and they say, Hey, they, they can't do that. They're breaking the rules. Now, now, this opens up. This section opens up. We have two 
what we call Sabbath controversies. And there's actually a lot of Sabbath controversies. It actually became like ground zero for a lot of battles. A lot of the things that the religious leaders looked at, Jesus said, you can't do that. And it starts off pretty big right here. And so like the question about the Sabbath is what exactly is it and what can you or can you not do on the Sabbath to be a good follower of God? And so just really, really simple. A lot of you guys are going to be very, very familiar with this. But like what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a day set aside, one out of seven, that God says, rest from the work that provides for you. Like, one out of seven. Like, I know some of you guys are, like, looking for a job where you work one day out of seven. It will destroy you. You need to work more than that. And so God says, listen, for your weariness, you need to rest. And so, like, even to unpack that just a little bit more, to say it more plainly, like, what is the Sabbath? It is a wonderful, sustaining gift of rest for all of humanity that God prescribes. He says, you need rest. You don't have an endless reservoir. And if you don't get rest, things start to unpack and fall out of your life. But it's also another thing. It's also a wonderful eye-redirecting gift for all of humanity. The whole idea is that you're supposed to rest from the work that you get paid to do the work that provides for you and it's to redirect your eyes from your tired, weary hands that you might think can do far more than what they actually can do. That you wouldn't look at them, but you would look up at God and say, you're the one who provides. So it's rest, it's redirection. You know, and so this, this was actually easier. This was easier in the first century because people worked more like in agrarian societies. You see, if, if you were a farmer, you would know, especially at this time, that you can till up the ground and you can pull weeds and you can plant seed at the right time. But if God doesn't send rain, it doesn't work out. And so there's this needed like dependence upon God that's more built in. Or, or you might be a fisherman. A lot of the disciples were fishermen, right? And so you can mend all the nets and you can cast them on the water day in and day out. But sometimes it just doesn't work. Like you were very aware that sometimes things work against you. And without the grace of God, it just didn't work. And so in some ways, it was a little bit easier just to rest and to look to God and say, without you, I don't know what I have. So it was a gift of rest. Regular rest to stop looking at your weary hands as the source of life and to look up to God in thanksgiving. But the religious leaders of the day, they do what we do. They take the simple things that God gives and they make them complicated. They start adding all kinds of things. And so literally they were looking at them and they were saying, listen, what they're actually doing is reaping. They're plucking the heads off. They're grinding the chaff away. And then they're taking the goodness of that. They're reaping and it's wrong to reap. Matter of fact, they had 39 categories of what you could or could not do on the Sabbath. And so they took the simple gift of God and they made it difficult. They made it heavy. So as the disciples walked through and they just kind of plucked a little bit there and a little bit there and they shook it away, and they ate the seed. It was like, you're breaking the Sabbath. Like the nitpicky details in the complaint of the religious leaders. 
they're looking for fault. Now, now before we're like, wow, man, what's wrong with them? <laughs> before we get there, don't act like you don't show up places around people and look for fault. Don't, don't act like you don't get to, I mean, I'm not even going to act like that. Don't act like you don't look at their social media page and be like, how could they? I mean, don't act like you're not looking for the minutia, the details of why they're wrong and therefore you're right. And so they should probably just die and you should probably win something. Don't act like you don't relate to that to say, I want to find fault. And then I find a lot of it. See, there's a lot of Pharisee in all of us. And so look. Look at what Jesus exposes in them. And so this is what Jesus exposes, verse 25. And so Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did? And so what he does is he reaches to the past and he takes a hero of their legacy, a hero in the Old Testament, and he says, I'm going to pick out someone that everyone loves. And he says, have you ever read what David did? And it goes on, he, when he was in need and was hungry... And he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And so what he did is he's exposing them. He's like, hey, the problem is not what they're doing. The problem is who's doing it. The problem is not what's going on. The problem is you have a problem with me. He says, see, David broke the law, but he's a hero in your books. Probably because you're not around him. But yet I'm with you, and you're still upset because last week I healed the guy that was paralyzed. And I said, I said, I can forgive his sin. And you said, no one can forgive sin except God alone. And then I said, check this out. Rise and walk. And then you're like, oh, nothing to say to that. He's saying, the problem is not what you're pointing at. The problem is who's in front of you. The problem is not what you saw. The problem is an authority problem. You don't want me to be right. And so now you're looking for all kinds of evidence for why I'm wrong. And so actually, he exposes, he's like, hey, listen, you didn't have a problem with what King David did, but you have a problem with what you see. And the problem is actually because of what I've been saying, you don't like it. But then he's going to double down. Like he is going to double down. He doesn't back off at all. Look at verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is saying at least two things here. He says, the Sabbath is a gift of rest that's from God for all people. And so he's like, it's not something that we need to prop up. God is not getting something out of Sabbath rest. He's providing Sabbath rest. He's not like, this doesn't something that God's like, man, I hope they do it right for me because my week has been really bad. He's saying, listen, this is a gift for you because I know the depths of you more than you know the depths of you. So it's a gift. It's not for God, it's for man. But then he goes down, he says, and it's mine. It's mine. So it, it, it's mine, like, like, wow, like, this is a moment where he's saying, you know, you remember what I said, only God can forgive sins. You said that in your heart, and then I said, well, I can do it, and I'll prove I can do it, so rise up and walk. Like, that's when he went down. He's like, this is who I am. But this is like even more than that. 
You know, last week he looked at the paralytic and he says, listen, rise and walk to prove that I can forgive sins because I'm claiming to forgive sins. So walk off that waterbed injury that your parents gave you because they gave you the bed. This week, God gave Sabbath rest as a gift to all people. And Jesus says, I'm in charge of all of it. I'm the Lord of it. It is mine to give, you little religious weenies. It's mine. And so like just to say what we've been saying over and over again, because he's going to say, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is rest. The Sabbath is a gift from God of rest and redirection that we desperately need that Jesus claims to possess. See, you need this sustaining pattern of rest more than you know. You, you need your eyes to be redirected from your tired, failing hands to God's sustaining care and his promises for you far more than you know. Jesus is doubling down with God-like authority claims, and they knew it. They knew it. But I think Jesus is saying something more. I think sometimes we look at this and we're like, wow, Jesus said it's mine I think he was saying something more than it's just mine. I think he was taking this and he's saying, everything that this is pointing to, of all the needs in the depth of your heart and the depth of your soul, it's actually pointing to God's ultimate solution for the rest of your soul, and it's me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So look back at verse 27 again. In verse 27, we see this, these two things. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so God doesn't benefit from the Sabbath. We do. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Like by saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath, I think Jesus was saying more than he just has the authority to change Sabbath rules or to specify Sabbath rules, I think he was claiming to be everything that it was pointing to. I think he was claiming the daily, regular need of rest and reassurance that you face every day. It's actually always been pointing to a rest you've never known, but you need more than anything. And that rest is me. See, when do you rest? Like the answer, it's obvious, like when you're tired, right? You, you rest when you're tired. If you have small kids, and like COVID has blessed people with kids. Like I, I forget people were pregnant, and then they have a baby in their arms. Like, oh my Lord, is that yours? And so like, like if you have small kids, like you start to learn that you need rest. Like you have these desperate moments in the middle of the night where you think, listen, to get people to just break, you don't have to torture them. You just don't let them sleep. And then you start looking at that little baby of joy and you're like, maybe they're a terrorist. They definitely have a list of demands, you know. <laughs> you need rest. But, but that's not all you need. When else do you rest? You rest when something is finished. See, even this is what we see in the pattern of God. And so Genesis 1 and 2 Six days, God creates. The seventh day, he rested. It wasn't because he was sleepy. It wasn't because he needed a nap. Like, the scriptures are clear. God never sleeps. And so it wasn't like, gosh, man, I am tired. It was because it was finished. 
See, God created something beautiful. And then it says, when God rested, when the heavens and the earth were finished. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. It was done, and so he could rest. This speaks to my heart. Like, this is something my, my kids make fun of me about. I hate to stop until it's done. I forget to eat. I'm sermonizing, you know, I'm like this, and just sermonizing. I forget to eat lunch. I forget to eat meals. I, I, every night, like, listen, the kitchen has to be clean. The dishes have to be done. The stovetop has to be clean. I used to use Windex all the time until we had friends who bleached out their table, and so I don't use that anymore. I learn. But it has to be clean. I have to vacuum. One of the greatest gifts that were ever given to me was a cordless vacuum cleaner. Like, I just, I don't like to rest unless it's done. And my kids are worried about me because every day it gets dirty. Every day, like, I, I, I go to bed with the floors being picked up, and every day they get littered again. And that is nothing to the litter that's in our hearts. Every day we work hard to try to win approval from others to really measure if we're okay. And some of us just do it the opposite way. We can't get approval from ourselves or others or from God, so we just act like we don't care. It's a system of righteousness. See, it's actually like if I can prove that I don't care, I've actually won up you on the system of righteousness. I have to double down every time I actually do care to convince you and convince me that I don't care. So I'm working really hard to act like, oh, it's cool. I just don't care. It's exhausting. You start to run through conversations that you had with someone over and over. Man, how'd they take that? Did they think I was cold? Did they think I didn't care? Did they think they got to me and they touched something deep? Did they think they have some sort of mastery over me? Like the litter on the floor, the dust on the floor is nothing to what we're trying to clean up in our hearts. See, that's why we try to impress. And if we can't impress, we push those who see the true us away. That's why when we feel guilty as we're lying down in bed, that's why we try to hide our flaws with lies or half-truths or humor or hard work or the next successful thing or adventure or being good or being religious or being this nonchalant, I just don't really care kind of attitude. We're working hard. And the reason why some of us are so riddled with anxiety is because you used to be able to get away from that working, but now social media is following you everywhere. And it's reminding you of what you should have or you don't have or what you haven't accomplished. And it's reminding you and it's showing false pictures of what everyone else has. And so we're exhausted. Jesus says, God always gave you a rest. It wasn't for him, it was for you. He said, rest and think of how God loves you and how he's like a good father and he wants to provide for you. That's what the gospel says. But religion says, you better be careful that you do it just right or else. Hungry? Well, you can't do that. See, the point of conflict started to come, who's in charge with this little Sabbath thing? And so the first thing, the Sabbath is this God-given rest to redirect your eyes to a loving Father in heaven. You need rest. 
Are you honest about what's just turning in your souls over and over? The second thing, why do we need God-given rest? Restoration. There is a restoration that we can't fix no matter how hard we work. Like look at verse 1 of chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, with, with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so there's a lot that we don't know about this. Like, we don't know if they ran out to find a guy who was in pain and was suffering to try to bait Jesus, or we don't know if he just happened to be there. But what we do know is that they didn't actually care about the guy getting help. They just wanted to find fault against Jesus. They were more than willing to exploit the pain and suffering of someone else to be right. Now, hold on. I know right now you're thinking, oh man, these silly Pharisees. These crazy Pharisees just want to be right, and so they'll trample people. You know, they'll, they'll walk away and smash relationships to the ground. Are you serious? You're just going to point at other people? Like, we see that. Like, to be right, like we just kind of block someone and just walk away from them. But like, so we see this here, and we don't know if he was staged or if he just happened to be there, but it's clear they don't care about his suffering. They just want to use his suffering against Jesus. And so look at verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Now look at me. This is an easy test. This is A or B. I mean, this is true or false. You have a 50-50 chance to get this right. I always kind of preferred those tests. This is pass, fail, and it's obvious. Like, it's obvious. Jesus wants them to pass. He says, should we save life or should we just kill him? Should we do good or, or should we do evil? Like, they're in the synagogue. They should be like, Jesus, I think we should probably save life and do good. But they were silent. They were silent. I mean, if we're going to break those questions down, is the Sabbath about doing good or doing harm? Or to say it another way, is the Sabbath about God restoring hurting people? Or is it about rules for you to make God happy and for you to help yourself? Or it says it again, you know, it says, is the Sabbath about saving lives or taking lives? Like, we don't always see it this way, but we naturally function like this, like a self-righteous religiousness. We need other people to fail. We need to outperform someone to prove that we're worthy. Like, the gospel is God has come down in the person of Jesus to restore hurting people because he loves you but religion says here's a set of rules so do better and then god might love you or, or we could say it this way the gospel is god has lessened himself to elevate you he laid down his rights as the perfect son who never messed up so that you could now be a son or daughter and stand in his place but religion is saying that you must stand out among others or god won't notice you The Sabbath is about regular restoration in our broken humanity. Do you ever need reminders from people that they love you? 
do you ever just, hey, I just, you just want to look at them. You're like, man, I don't know what you're thinking. I just want to know, are, do you still like me? I mean, maybe it's just shallow people like me. Like, you know, my love language, um, love languages, I'd like to take all of them. Uh, my love language, it is, uh, it is words of affirmation and physical touch. And so we just kind of simplify that. Tell me I'm pretty and pet me. And so, like, when we drive places, you know, Kinsey, she might be, you know, we, we actually see signs. We're, we're nerdy, man. We see signs. I'm like, I wonder what that is. And she, like, Googles it, and we find out. And they're like, should we ever vacation there? And, uh, we, you know, the, the, when we go to Colorado, there's a long stretch of highway, and there's only some signs. And you've got the creepy Jesus in the cornfield, or, and you don't know what that's all about. But we're, we've Googled everything along the way, and we decided most of those places we will not vacation at. But every Everything along the way. But like when I've gone just long enough, I just kind of start to inch over a little bit more. I start to kind of just, <clears throat> and she's like, okay, you're pretty. And she'll start to pet my neck. I'm like, thank you. I just need to know you were glad to do life with me and our children. Um, do, you, do you ever need a reminder? Do you ever need a reminder that God loves you? I do. And so this is, this is one way that you do that. You look for the promises that find their yes in Jesus that are available to you as a reminder that God loves you. Romans 8, we preached through it. Um, I mean, several years ago, we'll, we'll preach through it again because it's one of my favorite chapters in the, in the Bible. I, I've been known to do this, to go out uh, to the overlook place at the lake um, when no one's in the pavilion, and I'll just walk around like a crazy man and read the Bible out loud. And I love reading Romans 8. Because sometimes I need the reminder of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what if I get it wrong? But, but what if I didn't do it right? What if I mess up again? What if, what if I'm, I'm not something that you're super proud of? Like what if I wasn't strong enough or I wasn't right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Or, or jump down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That is good news because I have a lot of it. Or we jump down to verse 28. Most of us know that. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Or, or we keep going because we're like, yeah, these things might be working together, but what if I just blow them? Like, will you still love me then, or will you walk away? And we get to like a verse 38. Romans 8, verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, the Lord of our rest. Jesus is the rest we've been looking for. And then look at verse 5. So he held him. He gave the easy test. Is it right to do good or evil? Is it right to kill or to give life? And they were silent. And Jesus looks at them. And like the hardness of heart here, we need to, it is more in us than we know. But look at verse 5. And he looked around them with anger and grieved he looked around them at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. 
You see that, that, that jockeying for position that we feel like, am I acceptable? How do I become acceptable again? What do I need to do to be acceptable to myself, others, or God? Whether it's this nonchalant attitude of, attitude, attitude of I don't care, or it's an ambition or humor or whatever you do to sidestep the conversation to not show your weakness that you're constantly trying to spin to say you are okay, whatever you're achieving. Do you need rest? You see, do you see how two people are looking at the same day and coming to vastly different ends here? See, the Sabbath was about restoring the diminished, replenishing the drained, repairing the broken, for us, reminding us of the promises of God so that we might go out in God's kingdom. But the religious leaders had made the particulars more important than the people. Self-saving religion is our natural default position. It is in us more than we know. And Jesus sees it. And it grieves him when our hearts are hardened. See, there's there's religion and and there's the gospel, and they both can look at the same day. They they can look at the same book. They they can come and meet in, in the same building, and they can sing the same songs, and they can hear the same pastor. And they can walk away with vastly different ends and beliefs about the gospel, the purpose of our lives, about how we embrace a broken world, about what's the most important. Walk away with vastly different things and vastly different eternities. If you want insight into where you are, a question that can be really helpful. What evil are you more concerned about? Are you more concerned about the evil and brokenness inside of you that needs to be restored every week, lest it get out of hand, that needs to be pulled out and brought into the light? Or are you more concerned about the evil and brokenness outside of you that just needs to be opposed and stopped? Now listen, both are evil, both need to be dealt with, but which one are you more concerned about? Everyone saved by the gospel has a growing awareness that there is far too much religion and brokenness inside of them that needs to be killed. And so they cling to the promises of God. The Sabbath is a God-given rest. We need that rest because we need to be restored. We need a brokenness that we can't fix to be restored. And the question is, ultimately, what needs to be restored? And I think this is telling us a love and trust for God. Like, like ultimately, it, you know, one way to describe sin is a self-love, like what seems right to me, spinning everything around to promote the self. Like its furthest reaches in that self-love will demand a hatred eventually for everyone who ever insults you or disagrees with you, but it will eventually demand the hatred of yourself. See, it's mind-boggling what happens next. The religious, the the self-righteousness of our souls will unite enemies who have nothing in common except 
we can't trust Jesus. Look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus. How to destroy him. Now, this, if you don't know about these two groups, this doesn't seem so crazy. I mean, there's a lot of, like, uh, names, you know. There's a lot of different uh, people groups that are mentioned, and ultimately, you know, Jesus talks about them. And, like, there's the children, you know, the Israelites, and then there's Gentiles and everyone else. But these were like political parties, if you will. And so the Herodians, they were the political supporters of King Herod, who, who was probably one of the cruelest and most corrupt kings who ever ruled Israel. And so what happened was when the Romans took an area over, they would find someone who would support them, kind of a puppet king, and they would raise them up and they would start to bring a Hellenistic culture in. And so a Hellenistic culture is a Greek culture with all the pagan gods. They just they accepted all of them. Like, you got a god? You got a god? We'll take that one. Cool, great. And so they'll just kind of bring them all in. But they also brought kind of a cosmopolitan view that was very individualistic, not socially, like, for the family. And so it brought kinds of different views about sex and identity and all these other things. Like, they were very, very progressive. Like they were very, very progressive and like they didn't support or they felt like an attack against like traditional family morals. Like when they would talk about sex, it wasn't like sex should be inside marriage as an expression of a covenant renewal that should happen. Often that you come to say, I get to know you in a way no one else gets to know you. We're connected in a oneness. They're like, "Uh, it's just up for whatever you want. When you want it, how you want it. Like that, that's kind of who the Herodians would have been. And so for every party, there's an opposite party that stands up. And so this would have been the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees stood up, and they were the opposite political platform that promoted traditional family values. They emphasized the morality that the Old Testament taught. They wanted to put walls around everything to keep it safe from being polluted. They believed that their society was being swamped by paganism, plurality, and a sexual ethic that threatened the family. And they were right. But both of them don't trust Jesus. See, both of them probably look at Jesus and say, oh, there's some things I like. I'll take those. How dare you say that? See, like both of them have this similarity. It's this idea of authority. Can you restructure the kingdom that I want? Or can you restructure the choices that I want? Do you actually have the authority to do that? These two groups were longtime enemies of each other. They hated each other. But now they agree on one thing. Jesus, the real Jesus, can't be trusted. And they start conspiring how to kill him. Just to close on this, who are you in the passage? Like, like, you know, are you the, the progressive Herodians who ultimately have a view of salvation. Like a view of salvation is like this open-mindedness. Like if everybody were just open-minded, that would save humanity. Like they wanted to kill Jesus because he said he had authority over their lives. It wasn't up for them to decide what was right or wrong. It was his decision. Or are you more like the, the conservative Pharisees who think being good and moral is what will save people? They wanted to kill Jesus too. 
Because he wasn't fitting into the kingdom that they were trying to build. He didn't get behind all their values. He was letting outsiders in. And he was con- contradicting their beliefs and, what, and their lust for power. He was saying, that's not what the kingdom of God is like. Or are you the crippled man who was just there hoping that Jesus would gaze at him and hoping that Jesus could restore what was broken in his life? The movement of the gospel is a movement inside of us that we are more broken and we need more restoration than we could ever dream. It's way beyond what we can fix. But the movement of God in the gospel is also a growing certainty that he left the courts of heaven to touch your life. That he now says, there is now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. And he says things like this, I am the Sabbath rest you've been looking for. Or to say it another way, come to me all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we come to the table, and we take communion, we're looking at what brought us rest. We're looking that it wasn't some sort of advice that God shouted from heaven. We're looking at Jesus came and paid dearly, and he said it was for the joy that he did it because he wanted to bring many who were far from God and those who were religious, who were near to God but weren't with God. He wanted to bring them back to the Father, and he did it through a broken body and spilled blood. And so Christians, we remember weekly that the bread reminds us that his body was broken. And we need to be reminded that his blood was spilled. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, I pray that we would just see something tired. And I pray that when we see something tired, we would just ask this question, God, do you see it too? Do you see it too? And can you give me rest there? And for for some of us, we've never even considered that Jesus was our rest and we've been working so hard to prove something to ourselves or to others or to God. And no amount of work will ever fix that or ever save that. And you just invite us to a table. Father, Lord, I pray that you would continue to do work in our hearts, that we would give you more and more. Even if it doesn't quite look right to us or it doesn't quite look like what we wanted, we would look to Jesus and we would see what Jesus says and we would hold him as the object and perfecter of our faith. Lord, make us a people that surrenders to Jesus for joy. In Jesus' name, amen.